Welcome to the one within all to another episode of Interverse Podcast. And I am especially grateful for everybody who is tuning into this live. But of course, a big thanks to everybody who catches it on the replay. We are here today to welcome back to the show Matt Presti, who has an excellent YouTube channel where he's recently put forward a documentary called Dispelling Dimensional Madness. And it's a doozy. It's right in line with a lot of the things I like to talk about, but he delves deeply into a more historical take on how the delusion of, you know, invisible realms and the insanity of the magical thinking and mysticism that comes from so-called scientific and (laughs) mathematical, you know, experts. We're going to be helping you guys get a better handle on your rhetoric to dismiss, expose, refute, a lot of things that just have no common sense or existence whatsoever in logic or in reality. So Matt, you can find his YouTube channel, Matt Presti or go to mattpresti.com. He's also a prolific musician. He's got a history of work with the Walter Russell foundation and is maybe one of the world's premier leaders of thought carrying forward the ideas and the physics and the cosmology of the great Walter Russell, definitely an illuminated thinker. Check all that out in his history. Uh, Definitely go to his website. And Matt hasn't been on the show for quite a few years. So a lot has changed since then. I know his life is going in a bit of a different direction. And I'm excited to hear, you know, a bit about that, catch up with Matt, and then dive into our topic, which there's quite a bit on the table there. We've got a full plate. Oh, and as Snake Jones thankfully reminded me, Andy's in Missouri. So right on, another Missouri brother. So I love that. Uh, Matt, welcome back to the show, dude. It's been too long. I'm really glad to have you. Thanks for being here. Show me state. Show me. <laughs> yeah, we're going right. to show like, y'all tonight. How's are we going, the perfect buddy? people to uh, get rid, like, you know, drop the hammer on magical thinking or what? Well, you know, it has to be done. I'm with Rupert Sheldrake in the sense that we need some anatheism going on, which is a uh, a return to God or recovering a sense of the divine without all the religious connotation. So that's that's what we really could use, a little bit of anatheism here. Oh, that's definitely, it's, you know, on the table here that where this all comes from actually is a direct line descent from the uh, priestcraft <laughs> and not, not the good type of priestcraft. So, right. Yeah, man. But I, I'm wondering a bit about where you've been the last couple of years. I think it's been at least two or three since we had a podcast together. So, you know, you mentioned pivoting away from your previous job as the president or director or whatever the spiffy title was with Walter Russell folks, you know, you don't necessarily have to get into any dirt or whatever, but I'm curious to know, where your focuses lie now, obviously you're putting out badass documentaries. So that's one thing. <laughs> well done with that, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm, I, uh, I served seven years with the university of science and philosophy, and that was what I was shown in a vision that I was given in 2015 that I would serve seven years. And I even wrote down the names of each year. And so it was more or less a revelation of time. You know, but I knew that at three and a half years, I would be moving the artwork out. And and basically, this kind of a revelation is just what I call a, a mass inspiration, um, which is basically a divine illumination by any other word. But you can have any kind of inspiration, be it small or large, and it's still uh, revelatory and divine in that sense, because it, it comes directly through you. So when I had this 15 second flash and it brought me to tears to my knees and then I, I saw seven years of, of work laid out and three and a half years we were basically, I was shown that I was going to acquire a building to put the 64 tons of art, sculpture and personal effects, uh, which was done by Walter Russell and the effects of his wife as well. And that was all moved in. So by uh, from 2015 to 2018 was just preparation. 2018 to 19 was the setup of the museum. And then we launched the rebirth of the Russell legacy on November 1st of 2019, which was exactly 11 years to the day that I finished reading the secret of light. 
And I found that out two days before the grand reopening. So that was really cool. It was, it was a divine mission really. And it's just proof to me that, you know, Dr. Russell's words are correct. He's, he's just such an inspiration. One of these great minds, a giant of men, you know, and, uh, stuff that, that he put forth is something that I recommend to people because of the inspiration level. You know, there's, there's very few inspirational writers other than great poets, but this dude was just like every page was a a complete and total transformative inspiration. And so it was an honor to serve for those seven years and pretty much right after the museum opened and we reopened COVID, you know, COVID came down the pipe and it's funny because I named the year 2020 out of those seven years, 2020, I named perfect vision, which is interesting because it, it, it's almost as if the perfect vision was the unveiling of this evil on planet earth, more or less stepping out from the closet and going, you know, we're in charge now we're going to run the planet. And so we all sort of perfectly saw this naked emperor, right? Emerge from the closet, you know, and uh, at least those of us in the know, but there's a lot more in the know now before there were, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, which is great. You know, it's always great to see people waking up, but with that comes with a lot of responsibility. And, you know, one thing led to another The past couple of years for me has been a lot of preparation because I see what's coming. You know, I don't have to be um, convinced of anything, you know, when you're researching and gathering facts for yourself, you're quite capable of seeing further down the road than others who just run around with a stick in their hand, waiting to fall on it and impale themselves like that blue moose in that cartoon. But yeah, man, it's, it's going great. Everything's going good. And, you know, I'm currently CEO of a startup company, a tech startup company, and that's super interesting stuff, but I won't get too much into that as uh I'm not allowed to at the moment, but happy to go on from there. Right on, man. Yeah, I think we're uh, we were talking before we started here about, you know, you catching a recent Vibrant. And I think we ought to just go ahead and intend to bring you on for an in-depth Walter Russell roundtable and focus on those ideas because it's been a while since we visited it. And that is for sure inspired stuff, timeless wisdom, incredible incredible thinking and we're gonna jump into discussing the topic at hand today which is your new documentary and like i said in the introduction it is highly important to me to help people get out of i say magical thinking you know a lot of people have attachments to these talismanic words right whenever in your documentary subtitle or subheader you talk about refuting gnosticism but I always like to make, you know, the caveat of not Gnosticism as in actually knowing things about the reality that you exist in, but Gnosticism in the new age, pop culture, simulation theory, fallen world, you know, loose factory, evil demiurge, God is the devil type of all those <laughs> adjectives and descriptors to put on to quote unquote Gnosticism. So anyway, uh, I, you know, I'm not trying to tell people there isn't magic in the world in the sense of the way that you described, you had a flash of inspiration and you saw the path that you were on laid out in front of you. I've had similar senses of knowing that a certain experience was on its way. And even the timing, sometimes okay, a couple of times, like I knew the day, like I wrote down a, a date on a post-it note and then, you know, I was waiting for that date and then the thing happened. <laughs> so yeah, I know what you're talking about. That's super real, but let's introduce for, uh, for starters, the, theme of this documentary in your own words, you know, to describe it and the, why it was important to you to bring this forward? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. You know, when I started reading the work of Walter Russell, I used to think there were higher dimensions. I, I used to believe that stuff, you know, and when I had sat with Walter's work for seven years plus, well, more like 10 years, you know, actually, if, if you want to get The actual number is about 15 years, but it took me 10 to formulate this entire thing because I kept encountering, you know, once I learned basically what, what I say is, is a better model of reality than any that's out there. I've yet to meet one that can top 
Walter Russell, in my personal opinion, as far as models go, which we'll talk about that later. But really, um, you know, I was forced to reconcile a lot of my own beliefs when I read this really cosmic, cosmically aware dude's work, you know, and I'm like, wow, this is, this is something a whole, this is levels beyond what I've been reading. You know, they say the, the teacher appears when the student is ready. And I guess I had just reached the ready point. And, uh, but basically in the universal one, he talks about this reality, this one reality, this one universe and the sole substance of this universe, which is light. And that this, substance we call light, which is everything material in this universe, has 18 dimensions, but all those dimensions are within this one realm. They're not extra dimensional. You know, and like you said, the word Gnosticism, just keep in mind that all words have at least two meanings. You know, there, there's a positive Gnosticism and a, and a negative connotation. So I'm, I'm really looking at the escapist side of this whole thing which wants to get out of reality and early Gnosticism was pretty much an offshoot of early Christianity. And so the two share in that, um, that relationship of escapism. And then I, I differentiate escapism. Again, there's, there's a positive escapism. Everybody likes to chill out and veg watching some cable show or, you know, some sitcom or whatever, or taking a walk in the woods or playing a video game. That's healthy, right? But it's this toxic escapism, which is church-like. It's religious, religio, and it's uh, the Gnostic. Let's, you know, this place is a hellhole. We need to escape it. Flat earth, our salvation lies on the other side of the ice wall. You know, this is all Gnostic. It's, it's the inability to be where you are at, which diminishes your human experience because you're always imagining being somewhere other than where you are whether it's the fifth dimension, a higher reality, somewhere you're striving to get to that isn't where you're at. I will so make my, one quick little caveat sure. though, that flat, flat earthers that I know, I, none of them that I know are banking on going over the ice wall to reach some promised land, okay. <laughs> you know, like cosmology that I am aware of. And I myself am earth shape agnostic, honestly, but the, you know, typically it's more of a, this is a divine creation and that where you're at is, you know, the sacred center. And that's more often, you know, I wouldn't necessarily lump in the whole, like, yes, the Google search <laughs> flat earthers of the flat earth society. And a lot of that madness are another thing altogether, but you know, I'm going to stick up for my, my friends who all don't believe NASA's uh, cosmology. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Well, I got a lot of disagreements with NASA myself, but um, my point of the get over the ice wall, I've actually heard recently spoken with a guy who uh, that was his MO. You know, I, I'd go to the ice wall, but the military would kill me. Slippery slope argument. Anyways, yeah, I don't think he probably would. <laughs> I think he's probably yeah. going to stay right where he is on his computer. Yeah. The point I guess I'm trying to make is there's always somewhere there's always tomorrow. Never today. Why not today? So I was trying to really, the purpose of this documentary is to pull people's feet back to the ground and get their heads back in this game because we're about to lose this human race to a despotic, tyrannical group of psychopaths that represent far less than 1% of the human race. And if we don't have everybody in this, in the game, you know, working together, you know, we need a mass movement, not uh, a group of, you know, people protesting in the street, but a mass movement of individuals who sa who can safeguard liberty and freedom in this world. Because it's always, you know, it's always on the very edge. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a commodity that, that if we lose it, we're going to really wish we'd have been more in the game and more present, if you will. You know, so I, I'm just, trying to rally troops too, you know, in that sense, get your heads in the game. And when your head is in the game, what an amazing life you can produce for yourself. You know, it's, you don't need to escape somewhere else. You can actually enjoy being here despite the insanity of it all. It's like we all live on the top floor of the insane asylum and it's being run by the inmates, but that doesn't mean you can't create a space that's divine within that. 
And that's what I end this documentary with is, is that promise of, you know, which is hermeticism versus Gnosticism. It's a whole different world that embraces physicality and material as a divine thing to work with knowingly, whereas Gnosticism just wants to transcend it so then it can be happy. Yeah, buddy. Uh, I feel that too. And, you know, <laughs> I just saw another good comment about the, the flat earth thing, not to harp on that, but, you know, most of the flat earthers, I know they're planting their feet in the ground where they're at and like starting homesteads. So that is the radical safeguarding of one's freedom and liberty is to become so self-sufficient in your own region with your own community that there doesn't matter what tyrants do or what people who wish to be slaves follow you know what i mean but let's talk about okay so the a big theme of the documentary which is very very helpful for us is the definition of dimension right and what this documentary is all about is exposing the fraud of how that word has become a talismanic uh you know untruth kind of like many other words in the the <laughs> the, the spellcasters and sorcerers of our current age well, like one that i bring up frequently recently is people like you and me are often labeled as radicals and <laughs> <laughs> the modern radishes <laughs> rad exactly radishes that. right because the latin word for radi radical is radix right. which means pertaining to or inherent to the root or a root and so whenever we're called radicals in the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition of a radical is somebody who wants to break from or change the established order or tradition of things. That's the exact opposite of what a radical is. <laughs> radical is one who wants to go back to the fundamental truths of the roots of what makes life work or, you know, whatever aspect of life they are radical about. So anyway, let's talk about the uh, definitions of dimension and how that sure. has shifted over time. Well, if you go to uh, Webster's 1828, you know, it's it's straightforward. Dimension in geometry is the extent of a body or length, breadth, and thickness or depth. That's also my favorite dictionary. <laughs> yeah. That all the time. Yeah. I mean, you got to go back if you want to get to the, the root of things, right? So let's, let's type in real quick. Um, dimension. And we can go to Merriam-Webster today. And down at the bottom, you see a fifth definition on this particular site, a level of existence or consciousness. So, but there's no physical proof. So it's interesting that it's in there. They also go on to say it's, as an example, Catherine Bates, a secular as well as spiritual dimension. And this basically in the documentary, I point out that uh, spiritualism, which was the New Age 1.0, which took place in 1850s London and England and became extremely popularized in the 1870s because you had prominent scientists like Johann Zollner from Leipzig University who hired a spiritualist medium who later self-confessed to fraud, Henry Slade. Uh, Slade came recommended by Helena Blavatsky. She highly recommended him to a lot of the royalty around Europe. And so he went on kind of a European tour. Uh, he assumed a, a, at least one different name in England, Slade did. And he ended up getting busted by the authorities for ripping people off. He was using his foot and a piece of chalk to write on a slate, a chalk slate, and then he would lift it up to his hand and set it on the table and claim that spirits in the fourth dimension were writing on this slate, which, you know, landed him basically with a threat of going to jail. So he fled to France and a couple other countries and met with royalty because of Blavatsky's recommendation. And so he was able to uh, eventually make his way back to America where he died at, I think, 51 years old. And he, he had uh, basically gone off the deep end with alcoholism and a few other things like that, broken, penniless. But yeah, so... As grifters are wont to do. Yeah, it's it's interesting because that's not the only one, but Johan... Johan... Uh, uh, 
Zollner is just one example of a scientist that got taken up in the spiritualist craze of 1870s and 80s London. And you have another example of a scientist, um, Sir William Crookes, the inventor of the cathode ray tube. And he had lost his little brother in the 1860s. So his motivation for seeking spiritualists was to, you know, use them as a communicative channel. And so he would attend these seances and, and they knew he was easy prey because he could hardly see. He had no spectacles at the time. So this, uh, cook lady dressed up and spectacles. (laughs) Yep. She dressed up as a ghost named Katie King and paid some of the participants at the table to act like they were all seeing a ghost together. It was just one big operation of fraud. And you you can go in into any of these subjects. I got a great link at mattpresti.com in my post section, which is also underneath the YouTube video, but it, it lists all my references where I compiled all this information some 200 plus hours of work. And uh, each one of these names in the video was a good couple hours, if not more of reading and researching. But it was fascinating because the, the hardest part about this documentary was that I could find nobody who supported my point of view that there was no such thing as these higher dimensions. Every paper I found that talked about like the history of fork dimensions, uh, who the movers and the shakers were, were all supportive of the idea because they're pro-science, a lot of them. And so they they wrote a really good history about the fourth dimension, but it was a positive viewpoint. I could find no detractors of this idea of higher dimensions, but that's part of the reason, you know, for 10 years, this has been swirling around in the back of my head of, of doing a takedown on this just because nobody else has. So I felt it was time. Yeah, and to back up a little bit, we have the origins of dimension coming from the Latin Dimitri, which is basically to measure out something, right? right? right. So we have dimensions. Reality is <laughs> defined by its dimensions, those being, you know, le- length, width, height. So you're saying that the beginnings of other dimensions besides those that we could actually measure began with the concept of a fourth dimension, very uh, connected into spiritualism and also in the documentary connected into scientific romance, which is kind of like a precursor to science fiction. Exactly. And I find when you, when you think scientific romance, think of the Fabio novels on the shelf at the supermarket, the little turn rack with all the dollar romance books. That was scientific romance in the in 1850s to, you know, eventually caught on in the United States and became the cultural uh, phenomenon known as science fiction. Yeah. So the really interesting thing is how time got keyed into being the fourth dimension. And I really liked the way that that was disputed. I'm trying to remember who it was that made this dispute along those lines, but that time couldn't be the fourth dimension because it isn't connected to the other three, the way that the other three dimensions are intrinsically one. Could you speak on that? Yeah, that was, um, I'd have to look it up. Um, Gerald, uh, he was actually a flat earther who came up with that quote, but the quote basically asserted he was spot on. He wrote, Kings Dethroned is the name of the book, which I've got too. And that takedown of Einstein was beautiful. So I used the quote, you know, and and, uh, it just basically says that time as an independent fourth dimension, all all of the dimensions that Einstein uses are independent of each other. But he refutes that and says basically that, yeah, Gerard Hickson, exactly, says, uh, Length, breadth, and width are not independent. They're all existent in a three-dimensional object. So you can't separate. If if you have a three-dimensional object, which all objects are in the universe, unless you're dealing with graphene, which is the closest to an actual two-dimensional object that science knows of, um, 
which isn't really two dimensional because it still has just a minutia of thickness. So, um, you know, he called it out and he called it out correctly. And that's why I put that quote in there. But, but basically this all starts with Henry Moore who coined the word fourth dimension and he tied his fourth dimensional idea, which wasn't mathematically based, but rather more or less philosophically based because he, he opposed Cartesian dualism. So Henry Moore would propose that, you know, he, he coined the term fourth dimension and also the term Gnosticism from the Greek Gnosticos. So that was an interesting find there. And this was in 1671 in his work, Enchiridion Metaphysicum. And he called this substance, spiritual substance, that was basically the cause of matter and substance itself, essential spicitude. And so he he was more or less, his fourth dimension was the realm of Plato's ideal, perfect ideal in form, that realm that, you know, everybody's in the cave is looking at its projection rather than the projector itself. So this, this could, you say it could go all the way back to um, Plato, if, if you want to take it back that far, but it really wasn't converted into time until um, it came into the French air, the French arena and the French mathematicians of that day, Jean de Laurent, Jean Laurent de Lambert, and I had to learn a lot of these names, including how to pronounce them. And uh, he was the actual first mathematician to bring time in as a fourth dimension. Yeah, good stuff, man. I am really interested in how, even when there's a falsity to the cosmology, the dark occultists, if you want to call them that, that run the world. <laughs> I say run the world, but, you know, they feign to run the world, but actually have just got a lot of people that are in the same wavelength of playing the master slave game and will do the dance with them. But you have this concept with the, and I do believe that whatever forces you could call the powers that should not be, I do firmly do see them as a type of fallen Gnostic that they look at this as a realm to jailbreak out of that the creator of the realm is like their enemy and this, that, and the other thing, you know, but they tend to, it seems like, and I think this is true for all human beings, but it's just more pronounced in the world of those with a, that wield a large power differential that we tend to create or simulate the worldview or the cosmology that we hold. We simulate that into our lives and systems so this belief in like higher dimensions enslaving and controlling lower dimensions is actually in a fantastically interesting way evident in the how and the legal system operates, which is, <laughs> you know, there isn't actually any such thing as a two dimensional object other than, as you pointed out, maybe graphene could sort of be close to that. But even it seemingly has some dimensionality in, in the height realm or in the third dimension just to exist here. So, you know, metaphorically though, on two dimensions, our life in two, dim there, we have a, another self in two dimensions, the on paper self, the legal name, the, you know, bank account, all these things that exist on paper that we pretend are us, but they aren't, especially the name. And in an interesting way, the, the actual three-dimensional flesh and blood beings are controlled and manipulated through their two-dimensional doppelganger on paper. And as we've done much looking into the occult uh, sorcery of the legal system, that becomes pretty evident. So I find that fascinating, but and maybe you want to comment on that before I go into my next point. So I'm going to give you some space. Sure. Well, isn't it fascinating that all the physicists use the example of ants on a two-dimensional piece of paper? are the ants us? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, but while they're doing that, they're always like, imagine for, you have yeah. to imagine this. And, and if it was this and they never really like Carl Sagan in his cosmos clip on the subject, you know, they can never actually give you concrete uh, example of how you can conceptualize this beyond above or below right. three, well, the third dimensional realm. It just isn't, it, it isn't uh, the way that things function. I mean, I think that's why the ancients have this idea of the Trinity 
as the inherent three-in-one nature of the creator because things created have to have those three aspects. Yeah, exactly. And and why do you think uh, an artist is always hired to give their conception to a scientific theory? You'll always see in any science headline, scientists discovered large black hole. And then the picture underneath the picture, it says an artist's conception. <laughs> so they're, know, they can't even do their own easy. conception in art. Okay. That's so, how that's pictures how, of so-called pictures of the earth are that way too, by the way, <laughs> uh, pictures of the earth from space. If you start comparing them one to another, they're like the continents are different sizes. You find copy pasted clouds. It's like all a Photoshop job or a hyper realistic painting. It's a joke. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a shell game. It's a bait and switch. And really it comes down to imagination. They want us to imagine what they want us to imagine. My question is, why can't we imagine our own? You know, this this concept of higher dimensions didn't come from some super enlightened human being. It came from a moldy old scientist uh, sitting in a squeaky old wooden chair in some university somewhere. Yet so many people believe in this fiction, you know, but, you know, if it would have come from some enlightened being, that'd be a whole different whole different reason to entertain it, it'd probably have much more of an explanation and, and actually be a plausible, practical, spiritual application. But the fact is it, you know, it just, it's more or less a mediocre theory and there's nothing worse than a bad theory because you end up, whenever you apply a bad theory, you always end up with anomalies, things that don't make sense. Abstractions can't be imagined. So, you know, it's like, why listen to these people? Tell us to imagine their universe. Why don't you imagine your own universe and be in control of your own imagination? Become co-creator with this creative force called mind, which can rend the day or break the day. I mean, it's it's up to you. Your mind is the most powerful thing in, in existence. Do not give it away to anybody. You know, especially, you know, these these people who say, we want you to imagine our reality that we've got all packaged for you straight out of the halls of academia. Only our ideas are acceptable. You're not allowed to imagine anything else for yourselves. Our imagination will be what you imagine. And that's the final straw. And they don't let like Walter Russell's into these universities. They don't let, you know, a lot of these people have to escape out of the universities, become the outsiders. And then they're allowed to start talking freely. You know, David, uh, David Bentley Hart is one who's inside academia, but he's, he's an incredible writer who, uh, who's, who, uh, purports, you know, basically an intelligent design, you know, Rupert Sheldrake's another, you've got some good guys here and there, but they're, they're very far and few between a few and far between that is. And, uh, so it's just in order to really be able to express yourself freely in that arena, you have to get out of it and be more or less an outsider. Yeah. What you said about mind is really key. I want to, I'm going to circle to that, but I think that the origins of this dimensional madness, if you will, definitely go back to whatever point it was in time that the priest class went from being the keepers of the technology of knowledge itself and the storytellers that held on to that knowledge in their tradition to those who began to wield that knowledge in a power differential for control, which seems to have occurred sometime, you know, in the periods of history that are obscured by the astrotheological encoding that we call ancient history, like the origins of Rome, probably hiding genocide through mythologized ancient histories because you know if we knew what really happened to the the celtic and gaulish ancestors at the hands of <laughs> whatever this system is we'd probably you know be getting paid reparations like the native americans are now <laughs> but anyway so there's this point where what used to be stories that were known to be allegorical and metaphorical utilizing the heavenly stellar tableau to hold on to the knowledge about how the actual natural world works, the cycle that nature builds things and how life operates was then made into a dogmatic belief system of a higher dimension called heaven where God lives. 
And we lost all touch of the fact that heaven is the sky, literally the sky. And that the, you know, the stories were only ever part of a way of describing this scripture and the stars where the information of, you know, how nature operates can be found if you know sort of the code or more simply put, if you just know like what stars showing up at what part of the sky means what season it is, then, you know, you're in good shape. But the important thing to recognize here about a, a higher dimension, if there is such a thing, there isn't really hires or lowers. It's just as fallacious as like raise your vibration, which we've talked about before, but mind has no dimension, which means mind is the, the one that the three are emergent out of. You know what I mean? It's like they call God the, the three in one, the three persons in one, the Trinity. But I think mind is that universal one. And, you know, I, I haven't talked to you about this before, but since we last hung out, I have been doing t- uh, biofield tuning for clients where I, in a nutshell, I use sound and tuning forks to find disturbances in their energy field and then tell them what types of trauma or stuck feelings or limiting beliefs they're holding on to about themselves and when it happened based on where I find the stuck energy relative to their body. And it's all happening remotely. I'm doing it remotely. We're not even talking to each or we're not even like looking at each other. Oftentimes they can't even hear the audible sound, but all of this is interfacing through the mental plane, which I think is really a better description of what, you know, has been controversially described as ether. I think the descriptions of ether are sort of self-contradictory in the sense that they're trying to make a physical medium out of this all existent, you know, all pervasive, indivisible, unified life force energy or light that we call mind. So and I'd like to speak about that, like that there is a transcendental, non-dimensional source that is mind, but that that is not higher or lower. It is beyond dimension and thus beyond like divisibility from anything anywhere. Well, you'd be exactly right because it it would be the non-dimensional is the mind and it's the causal factor of creation, uh, especially in Russell science. But it's my inner knowing and understanding that that is also the way it is, you know, because I, I, I rend and work with mind all the time. You know, I, I create creations of my own knowingly, knowing that I'm using my mind as a causal agent. You know, your mind, you, if anybody needs any evidence, then let me, let me put these, uh, these evidences into the court record. I present all man-made items and objects. There's your proof. Because first it's a thought in the mind, and with your two strong arms, you build the body which brings us to simulation. Now, is that body a simulation or is it real? Um, I know you talked about simulation, but we'll, we'll skip that, push, push that down the road for a little bit. But to get back to your question about mind, I'd like to read a quote by uh, Walter and Leo Russell out of Atomic Suicide. And this is just, again, this is like poetic here, but they talk about the Trinity and I'll just read a, a couple a few uh, sentences here, but this is really just quite remarkable. So they say on page 109, we define God, which is an extremely kick-ass title. I've never seen a title like that in any other book. Atomic Suicide, the sexless mother-father creator is one. His extended sex-conditioned male and female bodies are the completion of his trinity. Rest and action are three. Space and matter are three. Equilibrium and motion are three. Dimensions and pressures are three. The heartbeat of the universe and yours are three. Likewise, the in-breathings and yours, its temperatures and yours, and all things else of the universe and you are three. The swinging of the pendulum is three, as the spectrum and the fulcrum and lever are also three. The cathode is one. But in its extended pairs of anodes, in the electric current of man and of space, adds up to three. Silence is one, but sound springs from silence when it is divided, when its divided moving pair collide. 
So sound is three, and its vibrations and sequences of rest and action are also three. God is one in all cause, but in all effect, he is three. And all that are three are nine, for all that are three are multiplied by three in this visible cube-dominated universe of three dimensions. That's some pretty crunchy, heady stuff right there. I'll just say that in the etymology of even the idea of three, the uh, my personal my personal belief in terms of philology or etymology is that vowels are interchangeable to create a similar meaning or to find a shared root or origin, and that things like the T sound are also interchangeable with the TH sound because some languages didn't make a distinguishment. You could say it either way. So three is true is try is tree. (laughs) The tree of life is truly three. That's kind of how I see it. And more or less, we live in a triality instead of a duality because there's a fulcrum in every single motion. You can't open your door without, if, if, you, if you start noticing the stillness, that's when you'll start to see it. Right. And even when you're talking about sound being three, it's like there's the if you look at how sound shows up on a on a visual display, there's what's above the line and there's what's below the line. And then there's the the middle point, the stillness that it's hitting. And that's what we're even talking about when we say frequency It's how often does it center itself? How often is it in the middle? Mm-hmm. And yeah, three's the magic number. Remember that song? <laughs> but that's that's really, um, you know, a lot of people just don't notice, including science. You know, you'd have no motion of a seesaw if there wasn't a fulcrum. You'd have no sound if there wasn't silence. You know, the, there's two fulcrums on a guitar at, at the uh, bridge and up at the tuning rod or tuning, um, your tuning dials. So on a piano, same thing, two, two points of a fulcrum keep that piano string tense so that when you hit it with the hammer, with the key, key hammer, it's, it strokes that key. Uh, when you open a door, what's not moving? The door jam. When you roll a, a wheel on something, the frame doesn't move, but the wheel does. Everywhere there's motion moving on stillness, and it's always at 90 degrees. You know, just like your human body, right here is the location of your equator, which two hemispheres, as above, so below, is the, is the hermetic hermetic axiom true or not? And I'd say it is because every body in existence, being three dimensional, is a proof of that axiom. So it's you know that magic three is, and I guess the mind really is you know from the the Russell standpoint. And other standpoints, you know, this isn't the only, Russell's not the only mystic to explain mind in such a way that connotes it as a fulcrum, but he he's the only one, to my knowledge, that did so in a scientific way. He was the first to do that, to, to actually bring a scientifically uh, well thought out and, and learned uh, viewpoint of the universe to the physicists of his day, and he was ridiculed for it. You know, he was basically crucified. You know, they took his universal one and threw it in the trash can. Oh, this guy's mentioning God, throw it away immediately, right? Or mind, you know, it's like, that's really the problem with science is that, you know, they admit and they will admit that they're clueless when it comes to consciousness, you know, minus perhaps the field of neuroscience. They call it a problem. Yeah, the problem. <laughs> Which, of course, you would call it a problem if you wanted to escape from reality. You know, then being yeah. conscious is the problem because at the end of the day, the end of the road for all these like doomer, black pilled, pop culture demiurge gnostics is that the, you know you really get you really pin them to the wall of like what do you what do you what do you really want then? And they'll say something like, "If there's anything left to be experienced, or anything left doing the experiencing." then you're still in the illusion. So you're asking for pure oblivion then, pure non-existence at the end of the day. So yeah, the consciousness is a problem for these types and it goes back all the way to like the, you know, the downfall and the corruption of whatever it is that Hinduism has become or Buddhism has become where, yeah, it's all about samsara is 
is wrong or bad to be escaped from. But, uh, you know, you brought up also the how <laughs> the crusty old you know, academic that came up with this idea of higher dimensions or whatever. And comparing that to Walter Russell, who was uh, out, out, outcast, if you will. I personally think it's 100 percent safe and reasonable and wise to judge a book by its cover in the sense of before you decide whether or not you're going to blindly take on board somebody else's worldviews, look at how, how's their life doing? How's their health doing? How's their vitality? How's their strength? And Walter Russell, say whatever you want about him, but the man created more art than anybody else that I've ever heard of on earth before, period. And he did it better than most people in multidisciplinary ways. So to me, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening. All, all with a fourth grade education at that. So, you know, that's, you know, he said one of the greatest things ever happened to him was he was taken out of school at nine years of age before it ruined him. So, you know, how many men of that caliber walk this planet anymore? Probably very few, but I will say that back, a lot of homeschoolers happening. It is. There's a lot of great things occurring despite what the news might show, you know, it's, it's important to be connected. That's why I'm arguing for people to get their heads in this game because it's your life, man. It's your life. And if your head's off in the fifth dimension somewhere, and and I'm not saying there's anything nefarious. Some people might actually believe that's really good for them, but psychologically Carl Jung would, would call that a search for wholeness and wholeness doesn't come in another dimension. It, it comes with, dispelling the darkness of your own mind, your own noetic darkness, you know, and it's, it's more or less, it's not casting it out. It's embracing it, you know, as part of yourself. And then that wholeness comes from the self and the unconscious and the super conscious. And it's, it's a blending of those three, you know? And so it's, or I should say the ego, the the self and, and the unconscious, that, that would be the correct terminology. But there's uh, every bit of reason to to know that wholeness can be achieved right here, right now, in this time, in this place, wherever you are. But it takes work. You know, wholeness doesn't come from escape. It comes from dealing with reality, dealing with your trauma. You know, and one thing I do notice about a lot of people in the toxic escapism is they have traumatic past, a traumatic past at some point in their life. And I don't know anybody alive who doesn't, but I do know a lot of people and the most successful ones I know are ones who dealt with their trauma and moved on, embraced it, moved on, dealt, you know, did the work, as they say, of, of dealing with that trauma, integrating and when, it. And when it revisited yeah. it and when needed, work on it more because yeah. it's a spiral path with trauma. Things will reawaken it. Potentially there's atavistic trauma, there's ancestor trauma. But what you're saying is so key, and I want to see if we can weave that into this resurgence of ascension mentality, ascension cults. I mean, is there anything more insane? I'm sorry for anybody out there. I love you. If this is if this is you and this hits home, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I This is out of love, but it, it is rather insane to have an experience of problems or symptoms in your body due to your own mismanagement of your health, your own body's reaction to the stored energy of trauma that has been not dealt with, your own rejection of the capital R reality of how what you're doing in your life, maybe for your occupation, maybe with your lifestyle, maybe in your relationships, is self-deceptive or self-destructive. To call those symptoms and illnesses that arise from this constellation of incoherence and disharmony within to call that ascension symptoms and say, Oh, it just means that I'm going to 5d and thus disregard any necessity for actual work on improving yourself, actually, you know, getting in there and doing what you need to, to get yourself uh, you know, straightened out and trimmed up and, and detoxified and all that. Yeah, there's, you know, a guy who's a veteran said, you know, in one thread, 
And it was kind of cool the way he put it, but he said he created a fifth dimension in his own mind to send his heartfelt prayers to his fallen buddies back in Vietnam. But that, that helped him to deal with the trauma of it all. And he said he was just about back to right. You know, after years and years of, of using this methodology, but, you know, ultimately any kind of a mental construct is going to be a form of escape in some way, shape or form. But it's not to say that, you know, there's nothing to benefit from. I mean, it, but the, the slippery slope, though, is that when you hear people talk about 5D and you can do a search, go, go, go to YouTube and search uh, 5D consciousness. You did just, that in the documentary and I saw people that I know their faces on their thumbnails yep. of their YouTube channels. And I was like, ah, I like you. I do. I like you, but this is. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's hard to be the contrarian here, but somebody has got to call it out, you know I mean? Um, Cause really the fifth dimension, if, if you look at their own definition, it's a higher level of existence or consciousness, but from the scientific perspective, it's an actual different physical reality. So which is it? Is it, or is it the mathematical dimension of time? This is the problem with it. It's got so many definitions and none of them exist here. So really, you know, it's like you know, even Einstein's general relativity, time is, is, is not even applicable in a lot of ways. And, and his curvature based on, um, uh, based on the non-Euclidean geometry, isn't even what really happens, you know, with space. Space isn't uh, affected by gravity, like they say. Gravity isn't even what they think it is. And that's the problem. And neither is space. Like the space background actually, picture behind us right now is completely yeah. fallacious. In terms uh, of, I like, know. It's, it's supposed to be like space time ahead is ending. Ahead of the supreme being and time bandits coming down the tunnel. Return the map. But yeah, it's good, good graphic, dude. Um, <laughs> I'm going to watch that movie now. Yeah, everybody, if you haven't seen Time Bandits, that is an awesome movie. From a psychological perspective, it's really cool. Uh, Tim Gilliam, right? But going back to, uh, yeah, it's escapism. And if if you're not here, then your head's not in the game. So it's it's best in my approach and and the people I've studied and the, the work that I've done and the people I know who actually get things done and have healed their trauma and integrated it and overcome it. They're, they're, they're masters of production. They get things done and you don't even have to be in this truth movement or anything to be a, a master at being creative and producing, you know, cause you're, this is your life. This is your one shot. So you better be in the game or it's going to pass you by as you sleep or, or gallivant in some imaginary place. And never get anything done here in this world. So. Well, and it's not even, you know, a lot of people with the whole 5D ascension symptoms as an excuse for their poor health as a way to sort of pat themselves on the back and feel good about it. It's it gets a lot of YouTube views and things whenever you tell people that they don't actually need to work on themselves. They just need to believe hard enough that they're transitioning to 5D and all that. But uh, it's where we're, we're where we're only ever happy. I just really am hammering this point home because I, I find it. I find that the key to health is honesty, that the more honest you can be in, especially with yourself about yourself, but to everybody else as well, where possible, you know, the more honesty, the more health, vitality, vibrancy, and the more self-deception, the more suffering, the more dysfunction. And I'm not claiming to be perfect about it, but and I'm sure that there are ways that I'm self-deceiving that I'm not aware that I'm self-deceiving. But for the most part, when I think back at times of my life where I was self-deceiving and my health was suffering out of that, I was aware that I was self-deceiving and I kept doing it. So like, you know, like uh, this is all a lot of love, honestly, like we're not here to just be contrarian to be contrarian. We just want precise language because precise language is also part of honesty. But uh, I want to ask you, I know we've, I think we've gone around that particular 
we've ringed around that rosy enough. But can I can I ask? Can I just say one more thing, real quick? It's it's I, I'm a hermeticist. I would say that's what cl- most closely defines me. And from my understanding of true magic, that is the path of hermeticism, the path of the mystic, not mystical or or necessarily mystery schools or anything like that. But the one who works with what we have, which is called reality, it's all here, all the tools we need to shape it and manifest it into the crystallized image of our thoughts. It's, it's you're taking your thoughts and you're crystallizing them into form by working with the material substrata that we are in. We're in this particular world. So let's be the best we can at, at using the tools to create you know, our own imagination into this world. And when we do that, when we embrace reality on its own terms, on the actual sensory experience that we can have, the honest, the honest experience that we can have it, there's nothing prison like about it. unless you build the walls out of your own lies, right? Like this is an incredible creation. The potentials are limitless. We are gifted with this mind that is beyond or transcendental of the dimensionality that we're physically in. And using that tool, like you said, we can create bodies for ideas that bring forward new things into the reality. So on that note, um, I know that you've started out a new run of your podcast and the exploration of consciousness. And we have a couple minutes left before we transition to the Rockfin side, the premium Patreon and Rockfin only super exclusive second hour. And I'll tease a little bit about that. We're going to talk uh, some Alice in Wonderland and how that plays in. Because one thing that I was fascinated to learn from the documentary was how the uh, Lewis Carroll was actually writing that, that story as a response and uh, a critique of this type of thinking that was becoming pervasive, but you know, we'll, we'll save that for the other side, but Matt talk about what you're creating now and your, your uh, vision for where things are going and what's next on the horizon. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I have a podcast that I started in 2010 called the exploration of consciousness. And I did about 14 or 15, 16 shows. And then I laid it down for that seven year period that I got, deeply into the Russell work and had to get his legacy preserved and the museum set up and all that. So after that, um, I took a couple of years, like I said, and just did some prepping and, and some more work on myself and getting things right and going. And, and now I just feel it's time to pick this endeavor back up. So I did a reboot, uh, tech episode one called the great reset with John Chelyak and Mike Hagan, who are two guests I had on. Uh, 12 and 10 years back and uh, just great guys. And I'm looking forward to doing some more stuff with that because it's, it's just uh, something I've been wanting to do again for a long time. But like I said, you get busy in life, but it's great to be busy. So I'm enjoying it. And the creative aspect is, is always a plus. Yeah, I've actually been rewiring myself to not be busy, <laughs> productive, uh, creative and a lot of output, but to just get rid of that belief of busy. Because just for me, I had a bad, a bad relationship with the idea of busy, but I get exactly what you mean. Like, I completely agree. It's a blessing to feel inspired to do things that are so exciting that you maybe don't even get enough sleep because you're excited to wake up and go do that stuff. I mean, that's definitely me for sure lately. So um, follow follow your bliss. You know, that's, that's the kind of busy. That's the good, the good kind. If you're following your bliss, you don't fatigue, you don't get tired. Yeah, man. Uh, So, you know, are there any thoughts that you might want to leave the free hour with before we take our brief musical intermission, play some piano recital, play by Matt Presti? <laughs> <laughs> well, the you're wholeness, a killer musician, dude, you really are. Awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. My music's up at YouTube. 82 songs are up there. You can listen for free. And uh, if you really want to support my music, go to mattpresti.com, click on music and buy one of my songs for 99 cents. Um, other than that, the shameless self-promotion is over. You can, uh, you just remember one thing that your mind is your fulcrum 
And that's the location of the creator, which is you to the degree that you are aware that it is. That's the savior, not the fifth dimension or the ice wall or anything else. I'm poking a little fun there, but that's just, you know, that's my style. But it's all here in you. Every bit, you know, if you're going to find out the truth of anything, it's going to come from a realization within. And then you're going to be able to express that without. So whatever this reality is, we're here, we're in it. It's our job to figure it out. You know, there's two camps of this, two camps of that. But there's only one center that's ever going to come to the answer of the eternal truth that lies in wait for our discovery of it. Beautifully said, man. I couldn't agree more. The you you are your savior. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that it's like you're God and nobody else is. It's that the life force energy or mind, the indivisible, self-existent and eternal animating spirit that brings about physicality and dimension or you know, if we're using it in the modern mathematical sense, dimension as in a plane of consciousness, but that the experience of physicality is through this interface of the eternal one, which is the psyche, the consciousness, that which if you stripped away all facets of identification would be the I am identical, indivisible, eternal, universal. So looking forward to diving in deeper in the second hour got plenty of notes on the table here from your excellent documentary if people liked this conversation they should definitely go check it out it's uh really well produced it's got great music it's not you know it's not overly long or anything i believe it's like 54 minutes you can definitely sit through that in a very enjoyable way we'll play this musical intermission and see everybody over on the rock fence side or People can catch this on my Patreon. I'll upload it either later tonight or early in the morning. And thanks for being here, Matt. We will see everybody on the premium. Peace.